Hello and welcome to the Ramgad Pod. I am your host, Jason Economou, and this is my podcast. Today's episode is a fun little breakdown of the election results. Now, we're not going to do the CNN, MSNBC, Fox News long discussion of the presidential election and all the things that you should learn from it and how Democrats and Republicans should feel right now. Instead, I am going to focus on local politics and I'm going to do that through a conversation with local journalist and author Deborah Caulfield Ryback. Now, you may know that name from her years of working, uh, writing for Maui Time, but she's also just an accomplished journalist overall. So let me read her her Amazon blurb, the bio that she has up on Amazon.com. Deborah Caulfield Ryback has worked as a journalist for more than 40 years. She covered Aspen during the counterculture heyday in the 1970s at the Aspen Daily News before moving to Los Angeles, where she spent 10 years reporting on the entertainment industry as a staff writer at the Los Angeles Times. During Ryback's 20-year tenure in Minnesota, she became a specialist in deconstructing law firm collapses as a writer for Minnesota Law and Politics. She covered the Minnesota tobacco trial for law and politics and as a legal analyst on WCCO-TV. Following the trial, Ryback joined the Minneapolis Star Tribune, where she and Phelps won a Best in Business Award in 2001 from the Society of American Business Editors and Writers for their post-tobacco trial coverage. She currently lives on Maui and continues her fascination with law and politics as a frequent contributor to Maui Time Weekly. Now, we are aware Maui Time Weekly is not really publishing weekly right now, but I am a fan of Deborah's writing. And I was super excited to see that she started up a blog just before the election called politicsonmaui.com. And she wrote some great pieces that we touch on in this discussion. But uh, really, just go there yourself, check it out, give it a read. Deborah is a great journalist. She is very thoughtful and insightful. And uh, she's also a little bit of a nerd. And she's been looking at the numbers from all the different district voting sites and breaking those down. So it's a really great conversation that we have. Stay tuned, listen to it. I will give you, I will say, we tried to do the five questions at the end. So at the end of this podcast, it is going to cut off kind of abruptly. And that is because the five questions at the end, we were in a rush. Uh, We we were both misspeaking on, on some things. So I just cut that out. And that is good news because that gives me an excuse to have Deborah back on the show. So if you enjoyed this podcast, keep on listening because Deborah Ryback is definitely going to come back on. And um, yeah, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I don't have any any big updates for you right now. Let's just leave it at that. Um, actually, I'll throw in a couple of quick updates. Right now, it is November 9th. There is some stuff going on with real property tax reform that everybody should be aware of. Uh, check out what the county council is doing on that. And the other word of advice, if you are a realtor you want to check out what's going on with the M1 and M2 zoning districts and what is allowed. There are some properties that are zoned M1 and M2 that are doing short-term rentals and the county is enforcing against them. Even if historically they did short-term rentals, the county has started enforcing against them because of something having to do with the Minotoy loophole bill. So I'm going to write a blog post about that and um, give some updates later on regarding that. But for now, Enjoy the podcast. Good afternoon, Deborah. Would you like to introduce yourself? 
Hi, Wood. Uh, my name is Deborah Ryback, and I am the editor and, I guess, sole proprietor of Politics on Maui, which is a new website that I launched to cover politics on Maui. And I define politics as everything, so I think that leaves me uh, open to covering a variety of stories. I am a journalist uh, of about the past 40 years. I worked for the Los Angeles Times and the Minneapolis Star Tribune and other papers along the way and re relocated to Maui in 2011, watched the local politics for a while and decided that it would be fun to wade in. So I have been contributing regularly to Maui time until it stopped publishing because of COVID. And now here I am at your disposal. So for those people listening, um, I'll provide some additional context. I reached out to Deborah because she just recently started up her new blog, Politics on Maui. And I got uh, emailed one of the articles and I absolutely loved it. And I realized that I loved her writing from her time at Maui Time. So in particular, you. it was your articles on the dark money in the local elections that we just had, the 2020 elections, that I, I read your piece. I thought it was really interesting. And I thought, wow, it would be great to have a journalist of your caliber on my show just to talk about your thoughts after the local election. So I guess let's dive right into it. Was there anything that was surprising to you from these election results that we're seeing on Maui? Um, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by the results because I started writing about this election when the dark money from the group known as Huio Maui started flowing in. And it was upsetting to me as a journalist. Uh, we journalists, we love transparency. We love to know who's doing what. And we could, I could find nothing out about this organization. We don't know who runs it. We don't know who funds it. Unlike the progressive organizations, uh, Maui's Green Future Project, which is run by Mark Sheehan and Mike Williams, who are well-known progressives on the island, who I can call up at any given time and discuss their, their strategies for the election, Huio Maui was totally opaque. And as I watched, I didn't see the local news covering it. So I decided that I would start looking into it and of course, as I've reported, what I found was a, a drawn curtain. Uh, Huio Maui, which is a 501c4 organization, is allowed to collect all the money it wants from donors and does not have to release their names. And then it, in turn, will give money, and it did give money to two local organizations, the one whose name is just a, the worst name I've ever heard, uh, Vote no on all charter amendments. Huio Maui Nui, we can't afford it. Uh, and Huio Maui Citizens for Change. Now, Huio Maui Citizens for Change is a super PAC, which means it does have to disclose its donors. And it did have a gentleman associated with it by the name of uh, Grant David Gillum, who has been associated with other super PACs on the island. Uh, he is a political strategist based in Las Vegas. He does not return phone calls. Uh, the vote no on all the charter amendments, the chairman was Buddy James Nobriga, who is an executive at Rosalani Ice Cream, friend of the mayor's, and also never returned calls 
explaining who was funding his organization or what its intention was. It was simply vote no on all seven amendments. Uh, everybody has sent out postcards. The progressive organizations send out their postcards of candidates. Hui O'Malley sent out their postcards. There were the vote yes postcards and the vote no postcards. So when I looked at the election results, what I was most interested in is, did one or the other group sway the voting populace? If we saw all the, uh, the amendments fail and the conservative business-oriented slate of candidates that these groups supported come uh, be elected, well, then the dark money was successful. And if it, the same happened with progressives, well, then they were successful. And what I was very pleased to see is Maui voters, A, I don't think they like offshore money very much. And two, they vote on their own. And there, and there were some very surprising results from the uh, election results as I looked over the precinct tallies yesterday. Let's just take the charter amendment on ag, creating the Department of Agriculture. That's an expensive amendment. So you would expect if any of them to fail, that probably would be one because it costs money. And as many ads as I heard on the vote no on the managing director, I heard twice as many on the agriculture. And they were powerful. Farmers saying, I don't want a Department of Agriculture. I don't want this. And yet, in every precinct I looked at, that amendment passed, where others did not. I looked at the walk-in precinct. Every precinct had its mail-in ballots and its walk-in ballots. All the walk-in ballots were same, you know, walk-in walk cast. They went Trump-Pence, overwhelmingly, all of them. Really? And yet all of them, all of them voted for the, the agriculture amendment. Some that of is, them voted, it was astounding to me. That is the most, honestly, that's the most interesting piece of election news that I've heard so far. So the, the walk-in votes, and, and this is distributed across the various precincts, that they were overwhelmingly Trump-Pence votes? Yes. And, and they were you know, not fiscally conservative at all. Um, no, they, well, most of them, everybody didn't want the managing director. Only yeah. Haiku voted for the managing director. Every single precinct, whether the precinct were the Biden voters, meaning the mail-in voters, because they won all the mail-in votes. The walk-in votes were all Trump-Pence. Nobody wanted the managing director amendment. And you would expect... The Republicans who were, and, and by the way, the mail-in votes were 10, 15, 25 to one. There weren't that many walk-in votes. They would be 150, you know, not, it wasn't an even thing, but the percentages stayed the same. And I just find that very interesting that they all wanted the Department of Agriculture, which is probably the most expensive amendment on the ballot. I think that's a safe assumption, yeah. Yeah. And they also, some precincts wanted the uh, Charter Amendment Commission change. Some didn't. Some, you know, these are, and they're highly technical amendments. They were confusing to understand. And you really got the sense that people read those amendments because they weren't just voting all yes or all no. Mm. They also weren't voting all business candidates. On the, on the Trump-Pence walk-in ballots, Kelly King would get votes. Um, 
Carolee Kamakona would get votes. You know, a lot of Rick Nava got a lot of votes and, you know, the, the more conservative slate did, but there were always these little anomalies, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and I haven't finished reviewing this just precisely yet, but that's kind of the overall uh, sense I got is that Maui voters are gonna vote what they want, how they want. They're very individualistic. And so I think that that should tell people on both sides, progressives and whoever, dark money, as I, I can't tell you that they were real estate or, or business concerns, we just don't know who gave that money, should really think twice before they make these blanket postcards telling the populace what to vote for, because they're not gonna do it. And, it, it. and yeah, yeah I, I was gonna say, honestly, when I saw, the, the moment I saw that sign with Benjamin Franklin on it saying, we just can't afford it, immediately I knew that was designed by somebody who has never lived in Hawaii, uh, at least never lived on Maui. <laughs> Um, and that is not going to work. And I was talking to, to one of my, one of my local friends and he was like, who's that guy on the posters? And I was like, <laughs> why, why do they got George Washington on the posters? And I was like, that's Ben Franklin. And he's on the posters because he's on the hundred dollar bill. It's that's the, the image that they, they took. He's like, ah, I'm going to vote. Yes. You know, that was, that was sort of everybody's response when they realized that these folks aren't from here. Um, you know, I, I will admit, I was involved in, in the um, independent expenditure that came from NAR. And that was... That oh, was, you were? I well, was. Isn't this interesting? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, Why so, 60000 to Stacey? Um, well, a couple of reasons. One, RAM had traditionally, um, had previously in the past endorsed Stacey Cravello. And one of the, the things about Stacey Cravello's record that we liked was that she made changes to 2.96 that actually resulted in housing getting built. You know, for, for a decade before she, she had pushed those changes to 2.96, no houses. She made a simple change to the code, houses. Um, in addition to that, just her reputation with her community. So those are, there were a bunch of reasons to support Stacey. Um, traditionally, you know, we, RAM and, and other realtors associations are um, very hesitant to go against an incumbent because you need to, to work with incumbent candidates. So why burn bridges? Um, the, the truth is, Keani, you know, she has been fairly hostile towards realtors. And at one point, she, she doxed one of our members on her Facebook account. She put their name, their license number, their brokerage up, uh, and, and basically wrote this post about how, you know, really, it's the real estate uh, industry that people should be blaming, not the vacation industry. And realtors like, you know, Mr. Smith over here, I'm not going to add to his troubles by doxing right. him again, um, you know, because of him and this page that he manages with, you know, and he's from this brokerage. Um, they're bringing people over here and you should really gear your anger and frustrations towards realtors. And, you know, quite frankly, um, that's, that's unacceptable for an elected official. I mean, realtors, we have, we have over 1700 members um, that, that live and work here in Maui County. Those are, those are her constituents too. And their families are her constituents. And to be stirring the pot on social media making Facebook posts at 6.30 in the morning, doxing people and ruining their days. Uh, that might be okay for some other politicians, but 
that's not the polit politics that I like to see on, you know, in Maui County. Um, so between how good of a candidate Stacy was in our book uh, and the, the actual outward hostility from the incumbent, it really was not a possibility that we could support her in any way. Uh, and in fact, you know, if you're going to, to be aggressive towards realtors, then, you know, our association is going to oppose you. She so, whacked the beehive. Yeah, she whacked the beehive. Uh, and, you know, there, there were a couple of legislative missteps um, throughout, throughout the year that I, I didn't quite agree with, and also some character issues. I mean, there, there was the whole issue with Kelly King. We don't need to, to get into that. But, I mean, we supported Kelly King, and, um, you know, we, we ended up uh, supporting other progressives. So, so it's not a matter of, of us being, you know, more conservative-leaning as an organization, because we're not. We're purple. You know, we're, we, we're a big umbrella, uh, but that's why we were involved in that. Um, that being said, the initial stuff that, that NAR had put together very much had that stink of the mainland, you know, the, those, those pictures oh, yeah. and whatnot. So, you know, that was something that, that with our input, we had hoped that, that we could overcome and people would realize that the local Realtors Association was involved. Um, but for the most part, that was, that was lost. Um, nobody, nobody reached out to us for, for comment or, or information. Yeah, and I, I guess that would be me uh, because it came from the National Association of Realtors. So you look, yeah. at, you look at the expenditure reports and $60,000, that's a lot of money. I mean, yeah. that, people on the mainland, when, when they read my stories, friends of mine, journalist friends, laugh. Oh, oh, big deal. Huyo Maui spent $300,000. I spit on $300,000. But that's a tremendous amount of money. And $60,000 is a tremendous amount of money. So do you think you would do things differently next election? Yeah, yeah, I think I would. Um, you know, part of, part of the working with NAR on that expenditure was because it was offered. You know, when, when somebody offers you this tool, you kind of want to use it to, to see if it has any impact. Uh, what I would do differently, I think, is I wouldn't use that money. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use that tool. I, I think it would have been more meaningful to have a separate sort of social media campaign or something explaining our positions. But quite frankly, RAM, I think, is moving away from from that type of involvement in, in elections or, or that heavy of involvement. Even with our own recommendations that we make to members, we do that internally. Uh, yes, the members can share that outside of our organization if they want. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. The, the candidates that we provide money to or that we recommend to our members can share that with, with folks that follow them. Uh, but for us, we're not trying to influence the public. We're just trying to inform our members and help them. The independent expenditure was clearly trying to influence the public. But even still, you know, we don't want to go in the direction of attacking somebody. We want to go in the direction of supporting somebody. Uh, I still think Stacey Cravella was, was a, a good council member, and I think she's a great candidate, too. I, I don't feel bad about supporting her whatsoever. Um, with Keani this is an organization. Organizations don't have feelings to get hurt per se. You know, we would love to work with whoever is in office because our top priority is, you know, being a resource to those folks. Um, 
yeah, but but to answer your question, yes, we would do it differently, and and maybe by differently, I mean not at all. Well, and now I have to ask, and I haven't looked at this. I probably should have before talking to you. Where was the sixty thousand dollars spent? Because I'll tell you, the happiest people in this campaign, probably the very happiest, is Pacific Media Group. You know, the all the radio stations and Maui now because they got so much of this money. Um, the radio stations and the local printers, but uh, you mentioned social media. I I certainly didn't see a specific card come for Stacy. I did see one for Alberta to Gently. That was a Huio Maui card. But how did you so, help them spend those funds? So just to be clear, I wasn't directly involved in allocating any of the funds or, okay. or handling any of the funds. So that's why NAR is 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 on the, the disclosures. I was merely just like an advisory, um, okay. you know, so, so asking them to support a candidate and then, you know, giving feedback on the, the materials that they put together. Okay. Um, so, so as far as where the specific money was spent, um, you weren't going to see it on social media, but you, I think it was internet traffic uh, based on the IP addresses, how they, how they did it. So it, it was really various websites while people were, were just cruising the internet, the cards would pop up and then there was a click through site. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm not sure, Stacy. you have to wonder if she's going to run again. Uh, even though Kiani did not win her district. She did not win Molokai. She didn't she last time either. Um, it's probably 300 votes, but uh, now she's beaten Stacy two times. And if, I, 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 don't, I don't know if Stacy will run again. Uh, we, I was just talking about this with a friend this morning who knows her better than, than I do, and she said, I wouldn't do it. It's, you know, maybe that her time has passed. I tell you, I wouldn't run. I'm I'm shocked that people want to run for <laughs> for county council. Uh, but you're, I think you're right. I I don't anticipate seeing Stacy run again. Um, what I am hoping, though, is especially with these charter amendments dealing with term limits for the council and the mayor, and you know, with the increase in voting and the increase in awareness of all of these social and political issues that we have going on. I'm really hopeful that we're gonna see a lot more candidates of, you know, like really high quality candidates coming out that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, personally, Asia Iyer blew me away. At a, at a, Asia's amazing, isn't she? Out of all the candidates, she, she was super impressive to me. And, and her being involved in this race and not being scared to get in a race against Mike Molina and still getting, you know, 25% of the vote against Mike Molina. And spending about a nickel. Yeah, spending relatively nothing. Um, and, and her involvement with the charter amendments was huge. I mean, just seeing the fact that, that a person like Asia is involved in politics now, whereas I'd never heard of them before, um, really makes me optimistic. Yeah, I think, I do not think we've seen the last of Asia. And I know that even the progressive organizations that did not put her on the card because they put Mike Molina on their card said, we love her and we want, you know, we want her to get as many votes as possible. I think that if Mike Molina should run for mayor, she could be a shoe in for that seat. I hope so. I, I really do. Now, yeah. I, I want to ask you, 
Um, because you, you mentioned Mike Williams and, and Mark Sheehan's organization, um, and that is money in politics too. Correct. But I think you made a really interesting distinction there that it has to do with the transparency. So it, is, the, is that really where the line is for, for you in your mind or, or for the progressives or, or where is the line when it comes to money in politics? Well, for me, it's transparency. And I think it is for most journalists. We want to, because journalists want to know what's happening. And when you hid when you were young, why did you hide? Were you doing, if you weren't playing hide and seek, you were probably doing something that you shouldn't have. And I realize this all comes down to the Citizens United Supreme Court case. There's nothing illegal about dark money, but it's filthy. Mm. To me, as a journalist, it's filthy. I think voters have the right to know who is supporting various candidates. Uh, I think they have, I also think they have the right to a far more intelligent presentation of the candidates and the issues than we are getting on Maui. For example, I grew up in California and before elections, we would get a huge election book and we always had lots of propositions on the ballot. And they explained the pros and the cons. They had lawyers weighing in. It was, it was just the most valuable resource that any voter could ask for. Now, we did have, uh, Alice Lee, big, big uh, hat tip to her for having uh, the charter amendments outlined, you know, what they would do, what they were. And I think there should be more of that. I don't want... Um, Mark Sheehan and Mike Williams groups or, or Hui O'Malley defining the candidates for me. And I realized that the Maui News used to do more of an, an election issue. Their issue this year came out almost a month after everyone started voting. It was, my vote was gone by the time I got that. They're hurting, they're struggling for money. They don't have the staff to put it together, but it seems to me that they could find some money in the county budget to make sure that, you know, or maybe everybody like, like from your 60,000 and the Hui Maui, this will never happen. This is just fantasy. And the progressive groups put it into a pot and let some objective people put together a solid piece of information. And I think the voters would appreciate it a lot. I know I would, but it, it really isn't, it isn't a, um, if, if uh, the progressives had been hiding behind the same kind of veil that Hui O'Malley was, I'd be kicking that just as hard. I am a real strong believer in transparency. Do you think there's a way to, to change our election rules locally that, that would address that issue? Of dark money? Yeah. No. It's, it's a, no. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so, because you'd immediately go to this Supreme Court decision. I think it would you'd make some lawyers rich, but off the top of my head, I don't see how you can countermand federal law. Yeah. So, I mean, you could have the honor system, but, you know, look, here's my funny story about the Ben Franklin sign. The signs violated the Maui sign ordinance. They were too big. They were huge. And... One of the progressive guys called into the Maui planning department and said, these signs are too big. And they sent a letter to Hui O'Maui. 
that then went out and cut the signs in half and taped them together with masking tape. So there was about a six inch gap, which is totally legal. <laughs> okay, so, so maybe there's some kind of finagling that could be done, but anytime you try to legislate the kind of money that I object to so strenuously, you're gonna run up against federal law at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you hit on it earlier, and, and I agree with you completely. I don't think it's that effective here, not in this market. And I don't know what level of amount would be effective, but I, I think if, if that, that Huey O'Malley group that spent the 300000 they could have upped it to a million dollars. And if anything, that might have hurt them uh, based on, on the results that we're seeing. I, I, don't, I just don't think the money played a factor. Well, and, and if you want to look at the biggest money, uh, in 2014, when the GMO amendment was on the ballot, which said, we don't want GMOs grown unless we study the pesticides and make sure they're safe. Monsanto came in with $8 million for the island. Eight, I mean, I can't even imagine what that is on a per capita basis. That's what they spent, and it passed. Yeah. So I'm not, 300,000 is a lot of money to leave, to just give to media companies. And I know they need it. They're, you know, they're missing advertising, but I don't think it's a smart way to spend money. I think there are, there are more creative ways and they're actually more, if you really believe in your candidate and you believe your candidate knows the issues better, then just tell people that. Just communicate with them. Don't, send out propaganda. And I think that's true on both sides. My biggest gripe with the vote no on all the amendments, we can't afford it. None of them cost any money. <laughs> two, two of them cost money. Yeah, two cost money. But that that's was my gripe too. I was like, what are they even talking about? If, I mean, how are term limits going to cost us any money? This, that's, I had that gripe with the vote yes on all and the vote no on all. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I think we need to take a far more nuanced look at at politics. And I was telling everybody about Alice Lee's um, sheet that she had put together Uh with the charter amendments. And, you know, I endeavored to do my own separate podcast explaining the charter amendments in as unbiased of a way as I could, but that's, you know, difficult. Don't envy you that. I tried on one podcast. It's hard. It's hard. It's really difficult because there are merit and and it's supposed to be hard because there are merits to both sides. You know, it doesn't make you a bad person if you voted no to all of them. And it doesn't make you a bad person if you voted yes to all of them. And it certainly doesn't make you a bad person if you actually read them and voted your conscience or if you left any of them blank. But that's my big fear when it comes to the, the money in the local politics. And this is really, this is one of those both sides things. Um, my, my big fear is that we're becoming more partisan. And that means that folks who might lack the critical thinking skills to see that some of this is theatrics will really believe that there's some huge political divide between a candidate like, you know, Yukile Sugimura and a candidate like Asia Iyer. When really, you know, when you sit down and talk to each one of those individuals, they're, they're not very different as, as far as their political ideologies or, or what they believe. Yet, they're, you know, one is lumped into this um, 
what the establishment and the other is is lumped into the ohana candidates are you concerned about this this weird growing partisan divide in our supposedly nonpartisan elections um certainly i don't think you can ignore the cultural divide that has split the country in half mm. it's it's there and you see it reflected on maui but but what's the divide? Is it whites versus Hawaiians? Is it, you know, the plantation mentality versus the progressive mentality? Again, this is what gave me uh, such a chuckle looking at these precinct votes is the, I guess I could say besides the agriculture amendment, nobody likes politicians because everybody wanted those term limits and there was just no question. They were just, absolutely passed. I think the voters are sick of divisive politics. I, I think if, if there had been any polling done, and that's one thing I would love to see on the island, and nobody has the money to afford it, but I would love to see some good polling on what we look like as a, as a population, because we have so many different facets to uh, our island, economic, ethnic, you know, cultural, everything. So um, it, it concerns me, but having seen the Trump voters voting for Kelly and the Biden voters voting against the county manager, I still think that there is, we are not suffering from the malady that is totally washed over the mainland. I mean, I, we are Hawaii, we are different, but it is interesting you know, we're a blue state. We're not only, we've taken politics, we've taken partisanship out of the elections. So it manifests in different ways. We're just calling it different. We call, we call them pro-business candidates. We call them progressive candidates, but uh, I don't know if it helped to take it out or not. I, yeah. I didn't live here when we had it. So I can't, I'm, I'm not the one. You've, you know, Susan Hallis, ask her. Yeah. She's, yeah. been, she's been covering the island for 40 years. She knows where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, might, I might have to, to do a follow-up with her. Uh, were, there, were there other um, surprises or, or lessons that, that you came away with looking at, at these results? I think I've shared the, the big ones with you. I mean, it was really the, uh, the voters discretion in picking what they wanted. But uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, the, the island kind of went the way the island has. I really have to sit and look at the 2016 um, results or the 2018 results. Between Stacy and Kiani, did, was the split different last time? Were the precincts different? Mm. But that gets into the weeds that you know, probably you, me, and five other people care about. But that's, try. you know, I know that there was a website that just went up or somebody posted a map of Maui and you can see how many more Trump voters oh. there were this time, which is interesting. I yeah. think it, I, I'm just picking numbers off the top of my head, but it was something like in 2016, 15,000 people voted for Trump and this year, 22,000 on Maui. So- so there's an increase. Are we getting to be more of a conservative island? 
I'm not feeling it. We just put in a progressive majority. I'm not, I'm not convinced of that either. I, so what I'm, my assessment of this, one, it's difficult to, to compare the numbers with this vast increase of voters. The, the huge voter turnout and the, the real revamp of our voting system, which I was super, I was blown away by. I loved it. I think Hawaii is, is doing a great job when it comes to, to how we vote and making it accessible, the options. My ballot got lost in the mail. It was oh, yeah. easy for me to, you know, the, the day I realized that I it was coming late, I called. They told me, oh, just go to Velma McWayne Santos Center. And in 10 minutes, I was out of there. It was a piece of cake. Uh, I love that. Maui's doing great. Hawaii's doing great. Uh, my takeaways, though. This, yeah, there were more Trump voters, but that's just the raw number. Percentage-wise, I, I, I didn't see how that cut out. What we're seeing is the incumbents did exactly what incumbents are supposed to do, which was win handily. And, and that was really remarkable to me because of the money that went into it. Lots of money, including our money. I was, I was surprised. It made no difference whatsoever. So that tells me that folks might not be as anti-establishment as they really are, but also name recognition is going to follow, but maybe they are anti-establishment because all the folks that won on name recognition initially got into office based on anti-establishment, you know, sort of being lumped into that group. Uh, Tamara, Kelly King, Shane, uh, even Tasha. Tasha came in. Yeah, well, yeah. As anti-establishment, she's she's not really establishment. Uh, Anybody but Arakawa at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you look at the charter amendments, and what is it? Let's limit the the mayor's terms. Let's limit how many people the mayor can pick for the, the charter commission. If there's a conflict of interpretation, let's make it so that the mayor and the council don't get a say. They have to get a judge to tell them what to do because we don't trust either of them. You know, let's not get a managing director because that's more government. And, and I think what this tells us is people want stability in the sense of the incumbency and they want stability in the sense that they don't want to switch things up too much with the managing director. Uh, also, They've known for years that they don't like the managing director for one reason or another, that, that proposal that's come forward. It's just got too much baggage. So I guess it's just not written well enough to satisfy the concerns that people raise. Because I do, I do think we need somebody competent running our fiscal government. I mean, I become very fiscally conservative in this, and I don't think it's something that you... Uh, somebody said to me today, oh, well, one of the council members is taking this finance class. I said, you can't learn this. You know, you do want somebody professional, but wouldn't it be nice if the mayor would appoint somebody professional? Or, you know, you don't have to codify it so the person has absolute power or this or that, but the qualifications should be stringent. I struggled with that managing director one a lot. I... I'll share my vote. When, when it comes to the charter amendments, I, I ended up voting yes on all of them except for the, the managing director one, uh, remarkably enough. And the reason with the managing director one was because it was just a bridge too far to imagine a scenario where a mayor is forced to work with a managing director and department heads that they don't like or that they don't agree with. 
And that is a very real possibility with the proposal that was put on the table, that if there's a, a majority of six people on the council that like the managing director and all of the standing department heads, that there's really nothing the mayor can do about it other than complain. And that just seemed like a bridge too far when it comes to limiting the powers of the mayor, because you're putting a lot of authority into an individual who has not been elected by anybody. And yes, they may be far more qualified on paper than an elected official, but still that, that bothers me. You know, that, that seems to, to go against the will of the people, because what if there's a backlash against those six council members and, and that managing director, and they want, you know, a strong, different authority in the executive branch? Uh, it, it undoes the will of the people if, if the executive can't govern. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have feelings about a strong mayor system versus a weak mayor system? I do. I, <laughs> I do. I'm not sure how many of those feelings I want to share, but I'll, I'll, I'll get self-disclosed. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do have concerns over, over having qualified people in authority as somebody. So I don't know if you know this about me. I'm, I'm an attorney by, by education and by previous profession. And there are some times when I'm, looking at a piece of legislation that's before the council and based on the questions the council is asking and my understanding of the legislation, it becomes very clear to me that pretty much none of the council members know what, what the legislation is doing. Sure. And I'm sure this occurs in the mayor's office too. If, if something that is, you know, if the director of finance has a very um, complicated bill, you know, maybe the mayor might not know exactly what that bill does and how it interplays with law. Just because, you know, why would I expect the mayor to have a law degree if he didn't run on the fact that he doesn't have a law? You know, like it's, it doesn't make sense to assume that people have the expertise required to be in government. That's why we have employees of government, you know, union folks that are, are lifetime appointed, the deep state, so to speak. So I would like more qualified people to be forced into those offices. <laughs> but, um, but abridging the mayor's power to that point where, where equally potentially unqualified people, the council, get to tell the mayor who he has to take his orders from or who he has to work with, it, it doesn't seem like a fix to me. Um, I, I don't know if you read one piece I wrote, uh, but my brother-in-law was mayor of Minneapolis. I saw that, um, yeah. Which is who talks to me, unlike the mayor. <laughs> and, uh, he, it was a weak mayor system. And, you know, I didn't see, and, and Minneapolis is obviously a much bigger place and a more complicated place, but I just, and, and the council wasn't always friendly towards him, but it, it worked just fine. Um, I get a little more nervous about a strong mayor system because if you get somebody in there who isn't particularly qualified, then it's bull in the China shop, which we just kind of saw in the White House. I mean, people keep saying, why aren't there qualifications for president? Well, I don't know what, you know, you can't put elitist, should they all be lawyers? Well, that's pretty elitist. So <laughs> you do kind of run up against a wall on that. But I think, uh, 
I wish there were some kind of infrastructure that was more supportive because I do, I have the same, and I'm not a lawyer, but I have the same feeling you do. You see these issues come up and, and you don't, and you see that there's the comprehension level is not good. Yeah. Winning, winning a popularity contest isn't necessarily a qualification, no. uh, at, at least not when it comes to your, your legislative abilities. You know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up the corollary with the, the national politics because I, I see that threat. Like, I understand that threat. But even still, I don't know how much damage a strong mayor can really do. Like, even if we put the worst candidate for mayor that we can think of in the office, with how much power the council currently has to approve the mayor's department heads and vet them and whatnot, uh, I, I can't imagine a situation where, where we get a mayor with our current charter that's really that terrible. Okay, let's just look at one, one case, the injection well case. All right, the county of Maui has spent $20 million fighting that case. And is that all Mayor Victorino's fault? No, it is not. But I, it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says no, and we're still fighting the case. And as, as a fiscal conservative, it appalls me. And it was appalling to me that the council and the mayor could not reach any kind of agreement and that corp council wasn't really helping the situation. To me, that's where I see our government. I mean, I just feel like it becomes cult of personalities on both sides. Mm. See, and with the injection well case, I, I was pretty much, I think the mayor made the right pick in letting it go to the Supreme Court. I was, I was supportive of that. Uh, and the big reason was the EPA had already said, okay, if, you know, with the Ninth Circuit's ruling, we're going to potentially enforce against homeowners, property owners for, for violations of this. So the, the Ninth Circuit's ruling really opened up who would be in violation of, of the, the Clean Water Act. Um, it's been a minute here, so if I misspeak, please forgive me. But um, with that, that needed to go to the Supreme Court because that would have been hugely bad for, for individual property owners because now suddenly they're in violation of federal law. Technically, they need NPDES permits for you know, something as small as gutters if they wanted to, to really enforce it. But, you know, a, a septic tank or, or, or cesspool would, would even qualify for that type of groundwater um, uh, uh, pollution that, that would require a permit. So it goes to the Supreme Court and ultimately the Supreme Court said not that the county of Maui was wrong and not that Surf Rider was right, but that the federal government was wrong, the county of Maui was wrong, and the, the Surfrider Foundation was wrong. The Supreme Court didn't say anybody was right. The Supreme Court didn't side with anybody. And, and the Supreme Court didn't decide the decision. They remanded it. They said that everybody's missed the mark here. It needs to go back to the lower court and they need to come up with the rule based on these guidelines for how they determine what the pollution is. So it was saying Ninth Circuit, close, but you missed the mark. County of Maui, you're close, but you also missed the mark. EPA, missed the mark. Plaintiffs way missed the mark too. That, that's the thing. Everybody, the Maui News, Maui Time, all of the, the news outlets printed the press release from whatever organization they agreed with most. Maui News printed the mayor's press release. 
um, and, and everybody else printed the Surfrider press release. So according to what news outlet you read, you got a different take on who won the case. And if you actually read the, the 24 page opinion, it, it was very different than what was reported. So what about settlement? What about the settlement? No, what about a settlement? See, I think this thing could have been settled. I don't think Surfrider wanted property owners to have to pay all of that, but there was never, it was, they were completely at loggerheads. Why no settlement talks? It's been $20 million now. The settlement would have been much less. And, you know, we're probably on the hook for more. And, and it's decisions like that. But everybody gets their back up against the wall. And, and although I feel like there would be a potential for settlement if the county weren't being so stubborn. And the county strikes me as being stubborn. I don't, I mean, I covered the, the landmark tobacco trial between, you know, all the tobacco companies and the Attorney General of Minnesota. And they settled. I mean, it's a settlement society. We don't even have cases like this go anymore. But I don't see any even attempts that maybe we didn't even know about that we would find out later. I just see um, entrenchment. And I see entrenchment by the county attorneys. And I just feel like that's not the most productive stance to take. I agree. I mean, I, I don't think entrenchment's a, a good stance. But, you know, I think... I think the injection well, as, as an example, that case is just a bad example. Because once again, we're getting into that territory where you have legislators in the council who none of them have legal experience. Kayani has a law degree, but she, she's not a lawyer. She didn't, she didn't take the bar. Um, or maybe she did, but, but she's not a practicing attorney. So, so she doesn't have legal experience and she's the closest one to having legal experience out of them. Uh, they all have their, their opinions regarding the injection well case. All of the people in the gallery that day that were demanding that the mayor settle it, I had people cussing me out and calling me an effing liar and this and that um, because they didn't agree with my legal theory, but they couldn't even explain what my legal theory was regardless. And then you have the mayor who's, who's entrenched. But all of this comes down to the only people with expertise who are involved directly with it are corporation counsel. And we're saying, well, what about all of these elected officials that, that want you to settle it, Mr. Mayor? And Mr. Mayor is saying, well, I'm an elected official too, and the people don't want me to settle it. And we're all disregarding what all the attorneys say, which is we're about to go argue in front of the Supreme Court of the United States regarding federal law that will impact all 50 states and everybody's bickering because they don't like what the mayor has to say. And, and that's, that was my assessment of the injection well case, that it was identity politics on Maui at its worst, because nobody took the time to actually figure out how the Clean Water Act and the Safe Drinking Water Act uh, and EPA regulations all play together. So it's, it's a really bad example as far as how terrible a mayor could be, because ultimately, has it changed your life at all? Uh not, I don't know. The no, average person doesn't even depends. know. It depends when the bill comes to. The average person has no idea what the injection law case was about or that it even happened. 
And I do think you have to, and we don't have, I don't want to spend our whole time doing this, yeah. but <laughs> had the Supreme Court ruled the other way, it could have upended the Clean Water Act. And that was the concern, I think, more than anything, that this little case out of Maui would destroy the Clean Water Act. And the fact that it was kicked back, I just think the fact that it was kicked back means start talking settlements, start trying to just make this thing go away because it's expensive and it should be figured out. That's, you know, I'm, I'm the peacemaker. I just want, I want people to come together and talk about things rather than say, you're wrong, you're wrong. And, I and I'm sorry that happened to you, but you know how those meetings get. Oh yeah. That was a <laughs> when wild come down from haiku, you better be ready. <laughs> <laughs> Those meetings get wild. Do you yeah. do you uh, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share about any of the the state races or or any of the federal races? You know, no, no. Only that I was really happy to see Kaikahele uh, win that seat. I was doing reporting last year on the water bill, the the uh, water theft bill, as it was called. Um, and I found him to be uh, accessible, intelligent, and uh, and I took his job pretty seriously. It was a, as the chairman, and so not being a big fan of Tulsi's because she just kind of kind of was going off into what I call Sarah Palin land, just because I think she liked being on television more than yeah. he liked legislating. <laughs> I liked Tulsi. I was a fan of Tulsi and I saw that happen too. And I have to admit it, it, it you're absolutely right. She went off into Sarah Palin world. Well, it, I covered um, the movie industry for 10 years at the Los Angeles Times. So you see real close up what fame can do to people, what that camera light can do to people. And it can get really ugly. Mm. You get you get hungry for it. It's like a, a vampire kind of thing. So I think that's what happened to her. You know, she's good looking. Everybody loved her. She the more she said wacky things or you know anything to get in front of the camera, it, it just kind of diluted her effectiveness. And I know there were lots of people who supported her. So so aside from that, no, uh, I'm afraid I was you know my little staff of one was totally focused on this race because it kept me sane from looking at the bigger federal picture. But if you have some thoughts you'd like to share, I'd be interested in them. Ooh, you know, I, I don't know. As, as of recording this, it is the 9th of November. And uh, just this past weekend, we found out that, that Joe Biden's gonna be the next president. Uh, I think my big thoughts, my big takeaway from, from the national elections and everything was, we all need to get off Facebook because Facebook, sadly, it is a remarkably accurate indication of the American people. And it's also making us, I think, more divided and making the, the rhetoric worse and the nuance and understanding diminished uh, for, for many voters. I, I think it, it, I just- Can We I'm, expand to social media because I would put Twitter in there too. Yeah. Yeah, really social media in general, I think it's a poison. On, it's wrecked on, the country. Yeah. That's pretty much the way I feel. It really has. And it's, it's wrecked people, I think. You know, it's, it's wrecked our, our, the way we 
we process things in our brains. I think technology in general has had some pretty bad impacts on, on humanity. Uh, we, you know, I don't know if we want to get into that. But yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. What I, I'm, I'm optimistic, but it is, it is a big recognition that, that we are a diverse group of folks locally and nationally. We are a really diverse group of people with, with very broad ideologies. And I think what we're seeing is the, the umbrella for both parties, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, is far bigger and in some aspects far crazier than anybody wants to admit. I mean, we can all look at the, the crazy Trump supporters, the QAnon folks, and say, you know, oh man, Republicans are, are crazy. But you know, that's what the Republicans are doing t- with Antifa and the left, saying all Democrats are crazy because look, they're a bunch of uh, terrorists and, and whatnot. And I think we all just need to chill out with that rhetoric and recognize that we are all individuals and we are all far more nuanced. Um, you know, my, you can vote for, for Rick Nava and you can also vote for, you know, a, a very uh, progressive person and you could still be a Democrat and you could still be a progressive yourself. Uh, I just think we should all start trying to vote for the smartest people as opposed to necessarily the, the folks who are perfectly within our ideological bubbles. I, that's, that's not really a takeaway, but that's a hope. I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's what I like about covering politics here. It's very um, personal. I mean, we're in a small, we're in a very small place. We know everybody. We know the council members. I don't know if you watched the um, Don Guzman hearings last Thursday and Friday, but those were two days of amazing hearings and watching human beings who were suffering testify and watching the council members struggle with their friendships with Don versus what was going on. It was very real and poignant. And and I was very proud of how the elected officials behaved. I mean, it, it was... It's a nice small town to be a part of. We complain about the mayor or whoever maybe not knowing as much as they should, but this island is so amazing to me for the intelligence and creativity and just the individuals who live here are pretty extraordinary. And, And as, you know, people were doing all kinds of crazy things on the mainland right before the election, we were good here. We're, it's good here. It's, it's, we're never going to get as bad as that. Yeah. And I think you call it aloha, call it whatever, but it's, uh, you know, I'm pretty happy here and covering politics here. It's, it's very interesting. I felt that same way leading into the election when, when other areas were worried. I had no concern for, for how the people of Maui would react to any of the election results. You know, that, that is a blessing. And, you know, even the council members that we didn't recommend for, for, for winning, and they lost, the, the ones that they were going up against, you know, 
I have my complaints about Councilmember Rollins Fernandez. I don't think she's a bad person. I don't think she has any negative intent. I don't think she's out to hurt anybody. Like I would never imagine to to accuse her of of having bad character because I don't agree with somebody um, with some of their their decisions on what they write on social media or ideologically. You know, I we supported um, you know we we supported Alberta DeJetley for for the Lanai seat. I have no qualms about working with Gabe Johnson or reaching out to him. You know, I called him to tell him that, you know, we're supporting Alberta, but I still think that you're a good guy. That's how I feel about all of the council members. And I don't think I would feel that way if I lived in a different area, uh, especially one of these mainland areas. So that is a huge relief. And that is one of the nice things about Maui politics, where sometimes people get a little heated and say things in the heat of the moment every now and then. But um, ultimately, I don't think anybody's out for for bad intentions no and you did you don't see i mean sure maybe the vote no on all the amendments because they were too expensive well yeah they're not five of them didn't cost anything but we're not demonizing i mean yeah. there was there was one i thought particularly nasty piece of uh, uh mailing that don couch sent out accusing um tina weilberger of being a lawbreaker um and and violating quarantine when she had just gone to court and the judge had thrown it out because it was obviously not true. I mean, that, and that's not the worst that is done on the mainland. And it was kind of, everybody walked away from it anyway. I mean, it wasn't, it, it got no traction. I don't yeah. think that kind of behavior gets much traction on Maui. So. That's, that was what was um, the Maui undercurrents page on, on Facebook was, was interesting to watch during the election. Undercurrents or the conspiracy theory page? No, no, the Maui undercurrents. I, I didn't know there was a Maui conspiracy theory page. That's <laughs> wow. It, I'm sorry. I think I know who does it. And she ought to be ashamed of herself because they just print cheap gossip. It's gossip we all hear, and it's and it's mean, and and there, you know, if you want to sign your name to that, great, fine. Again, transparency. I don't want to see stuff like that written without somebody's name on it. And that's why I I was I brought that up because everybody in the comments always had that same sort of reaction. Whenever there was was a particularly negative thing that would be printed on that page. The comment section was filled with folks saying, you know, don't write crap like this or, you know, maybe get more facts or, you know, who are you to criticize that sort of stuff. And and that's what what I wanted to focus on that that aspect of people really shaking their head at that and not allowing that to go on. Right. Yeah. And that, that goes to to show Maui's a better place. Maui's the best. Now we know cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, on that, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank